Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. Late last month, the Australian Bureau of Statistics released regional population data for June 2021. But what makes this data different is it's the first to officially reveal how Australians changed their settlement patterns during the pandemic. There's been so much talk in the last few years of a regional boom, but did it really happen? And what about when life returns to normal? whatever that is. Whenever we have questions about population and what it all means for business and the economy, we go to the man who knows most, Simon Kustenmaha. Simon is the co-founder of the Demographics Group and my guest again this morning. Simon, welcome back to Fear and Greed. Uh, Great to be back. You've been travelling. You've been home to Germany since we last spoke. Absolutely. It almost feels like things are back to normal. I've spent my Christmas break in Germany. I've been traveling like crazy in February and, and March and up into, into April. So at the moment, things feel like, at least from a public speaker's perspective, are back to normal. Ah, oh, that's good. You have been around a bit because I have heard you in many different places in the last couple of months, but let's let's jump into it. Those Bureau of Statistics figures, did regional Australia really win out? Absolutely. The shift has been uh, clearer than ever before. Regional Australia is the big winner of the internal population reshuffle within Australia. And within regional Australia, things are not uh, created equal. It is those regional areas that are within the gravitational pull of a major CBD that benefit the most. These are your Gold Coast, your Sunshine Coast and Geelong. These would be the three biggest winners. Another big winner is, is Newcastle. But you see already that we're not talking about small, tiny settlements here. We're talking about decent-sized cities with big infrastructure uh, that are connected to the next biggest CBD. Essentially, they are connected to the capital city of the state uh, in some sort of meaningful fashion. Okay. What's that mean for those regions, Geelong, Newcastle, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast? It will put more pressure on everything within those regions from infrastructure through to the economy, shopping, schools, hospitals, all that sort of thing. Absolutely. So first and foremost, we have to say, well, there are wonderful opportunities out there to grow those regions, to to make them into more exciting places. But there's also the risk that a Sunshine Coast, a Gold Coast, a Geelong, a Newcastle, follow in the footsteps of, let's say, Melbourne's West, where over the last decade or two, we allowed population growth to outpace infrastructure growth. Remember that there is no magical number uh, where we say a city gets too big. That doesn't happen. A city is never too big. There's only ever a lack of infrastructure, inadequate infrastructure. And infrastructure is not just rails and roads. It also includes hospitals, schools, all kind of social infrastructure. Is there enough green space being developed in those new population settlements where we talk about greenfield development sites on the on the urban fringe, for example? So we must not repeat those mistakes. There are a couple of problems there, though, is that if you grow population at scale, and at high pace in a certain region, you just need to provide housing as fast as possible. And housing tends to be provided by the very quick and responsive uh, private sector, whereas infrastructure um, gets to be developed by a not so responsive, not quite so fast public sector. So therefore, you constantly create an environment where infrastructure development follows population growth. 
And that is a bit of a problem because the more infrastructure is built into existing, you know, already settled areas of the city, the more expensive it gets. So it would really be nice to use a build it and they will come approach where we plan and say in this neck of the woods, there will be the population in 10 years time. So we will build rails and roads there. The problem is that the voters of already existing areas where there is a shortfall of infrastructure, they would actually kill that politician, figuratively speaking, thank God. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, what's this mean for our our cities, and particularly our city centres? Certainly Melbourne and Sydney CBDs are getting better, but they're not back to where they were. What, What happens to CBDs, do you think? Exactly. So I can speak uh, freely and without any pressure because I don't have billions of dollars invested into CBD towers. In the long run, the CBD will just be fine. There's no no worries. The CBD will in the long run grow and outgrow its former pre-COVID uh, size, simply because a city like Melbourne goes from 5 million people to 7 million people. Even if a much smaller share of the workforce is working in the CBD on any given day, sooner or later, as you grow a city, it will fill up again. So that's all right for the CBD. So there is no major long-term structural problem with the CBD. But I do think we need to completely rethink our interactions with the CBD. What I don't want to see in the future ever again is walking into a big office tower in the CBD and I'm seeing people with noise-canceling headphones hunched over their laptops. That's a nightmare. There's no reason for this worker to do this task in the CBD. They might have, well, you know, missed out on the commute and spend a bit more time sleeping, a bit more time with the kids, and, you know, be hunched over (laughs) their laptop at home. But I want people for all those tasks that really require interpersonal connection, collaborative, um, you know, creative work, these kind of jobs. I want people to commute into the city because work is done best, at least these work tasks are best done in person. So in my ideal utopian CBD, workers would do all their private thinking kind of work. Uh, They would do those at home and they would do the collaborative tasks in the city. So that means if you really think this through, just imagine how exciting a CBD would look like. It would be a raucous interactive CBD where people mingle, where people are out and about, where there's much more hustle and bustle in the CBD. That would be great fun to be working in such an environment. That's a hybrid environment though. So people spend two or three days a week when they need to collaborate in the office, in the CBD, and two or three days a week when they don't, at home. Exactly. And we're very much seeing that the hybrid work approach, in my opinion, will be the dominant you know, way of work, simply because we're seeing this replicated or mirrored in the settlement patterns at the moment. In Melbourne, for example, the population in the CBD and near the Monash Clayton you know, Knowledge Center, they lost population like crazy. But the regions that uh, gained population, they are the urban fringe regions of Melbourne in the city of Whittlesea, out in Melton. So there's a big, it's almost like an industrial ring that spans Melbourne with cheap housing and industrial sites that have been growing in 
attraction because we we are doubling down on manufacturing in Australia. And so th this is where the manufacturing jobs are, are located. So therefore, the hybrid work approach will be the dominant pattern. But it also means that you can't move to a regional city that is three, four hours away from the CBD. You need to stay, you need to remain within the gravitational pull, let's say within a two hour radius of the CBD so that you can travel to the CBD, even if it's a very annoying and long commute, you can do it if it is really, really required. Stay with me, Simon. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Simon Kirsten Maha, co-founder of the Demographics Group. Okay, so we've seen these changes now occurring. Do you think in 10 years, Geelong, the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast and Newcastle in New South Wales will be significantly larger cities? Do you think the trend will continue? I think absolutely yes, um, simply because in 10 years' time, we'll have about three and a half million more people living in Australia. Where do you want to put those three and a half million new additional Australians? That's a question that honestly needs to be answered. And it all speaks in favor of those cities where livability and housing affordability is higher, which is why everyone's bet on the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast are right, actually, at the moment. These will be two big beneficiaries. Um, then, of course, Geelong. Geelong isn't necessarily considered a wonderful lifestyle area within Australia, but it is a cheap, affordable city in the vicinity of, of Melbourne. And there are, of course, wonderful areas in close distance to Geelong. So th th that will play itself out just fine. And we do need to think of improving new cities. If you really think this through, even longer term and you say well australia will double in size in the next 50 years you know 50 million australians and another 25 million australians where do we want to put them there's one approach that would say every australian city needs to double in size that's one way of doubling the population i think we, we need to think about this more strategically is there a potential in western australia to create a second city a second sizable city if you just take, essentially go to Cairns and draw a line, you know, a, a west-east line of Australia and call everything above, call that Northern Australia. There's basically no one living in Northern Australia. Shouldn't there be bigger cities in Northern Australia? Darwin should at least be a million people. Cairns, Townsville, those cities can easily quadruple in size. If you really think this through, what Australia should be looking like in 50 years' time. So we need to completely rethink the way that we structure, redistribute our population within Australia. And nobody's having this discussion. And you can see in Melbourne, the problems that we created because we were scared of talking about big Australia. The big Australia discussion really started in around 2008, height of the mining boom. It was the record intake of migrants into the, into the country when 300,000 migrants, myself included, by the way, arrived in Australia. And just from 2008 to 2018, Melbourne grew by one Adelaide, by 1.3 million people. Nobody was taking this into account. And if somebody had told you this in 2008, that Melbourne will grow by one Adelaide, people would have been outraged and said, oh, we need to really, really heavily invest into infrastructure. And so we kind of just dabbled in infrastructure, small scale stuff for a decade and a half. And 
that is a nightmare. If we are growing up our population and we will grow our population and no politician should be pretending that we're not growing our population, then you need to build infrastructure needed big. The good news, though, is that all the budgets, you know, the federal budget, the state budgets, they all put money aside, big chunks of money to invest into infrastructure. That's great news. The only problem is that at the moment, there's no way we have all the workers available to build the stuff that we are willing to pay for. Geelong operates at 2.3% unemployment at the moment. Good luck <laughs> Good luck finding the workers for local major projects there. It, I mean, the implications of it are enormous, particularly if we don't go down. I mean, China, US, these massive countries with massive uh, diverse weather systems and that, not dissimilar to Australia, they have big cities dotted throughout the land, right? Now, if Australia doesn't do that, and we stick with putting a new Adelaide in Melbourne every 12 years or so, we're going to have all sorts of challenges, shall we say. Exactly. So you do see that in the general pattern of Australian capital cities is always the same. You have a single CBD, a single major employment center, and then you have population clustered around that major employment center as near as possible. Everybody wants to avoid the soul-destroying commute, so they pay a premium to live close to the CBD. And therefore, the rich people, roughly speaking, live close to the CBD. The poor people live far away from the CBD. And then at the morning, everybody commutes into the city. At the nighttime, they all commute out of the city in a star-shaped pattern. That is literally the most difficult way of managing a traffic system. So you want to avoid this. And once a city reaches a certain size, it is maybe 4 million, 4.5 million. There's no specific real answer here. Then the single CBD model doesn't work at all. All the local town planners know this and they all write in their reports uh, and to their strategic plans, they write secondary employment hubs, meaning that you have a CBD, but then you have secondary CBDs in a, in a circular fashion around the CBD. You know, that is meant to take away house price pressure from the center and distribute it more evenly across the urban canvas. The only problem with those secondary CBDs is for this hub and spoke system to work, these CBDs all need to be really well interconnected. So that means you need to have suburban rail loops that connect all the CBDs in a circular fashion. You need to have zigzaggy connections between all of those hubs. And we're not doing this at the moment. And of course, building them into an existing city like Melbourne, as an afterthought, is freakishly expensive. Simon, thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. Ah, my pleasure. That was Simon Kustenmaha, co-founder of The Demographics Group. This is the Fear and Greed daily interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Elmer. Enjoy your day. Hold up. 